theyeshiva.net. Okay, today's class is dedicated by Nancy Miller in honor of the Rebbe. And today's class is also dedicated by Mrs. Susie Grandma, who's here with us in loving memory of her dear son, Yehuda Nossen, Ben Yisrael, and Ben Shoshanachana. He was only 16 when he left this world many years ago, 43 years ago, 43rd yard site. But his light still shines, and today is his yard site. Teshvat, May he remain an eternal source of light and inspiration and blessing for you and your whole family and all of us and all of the Jewish people until we are all reunited speedily with our loved ones when and thank you very much. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to take a look at your Chumash, Parshas B'Shalach, Perik Yud Dalet, Pasuk Yud Gimel. That's Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Let's just remember context, and uh, then we'll read the text inside. The Jewish people have left Egypt. They have left with the permission of the king, Parai, who in the middle of Parshish boy finally surrenders, he acquiesces, he, he gives up, he gives up on his stubbornness and his resistance, and he tells Moshe, leave, leave, leave. It took ten plagues, but finally the Jews are gone. They have left, and no sooner than a few days later, Parai regrets his decision, and he reconsiders everything. What happens next is he prepares an army, he takes his people, he takes his troops, he takes his soldiers, he takes 600 of the greatest and most equipped chariots, together with all of the chariots that could be used in war, together with everyone fit to fight, to go pursue the Jewish people. The Egyptians pursue them and successfully reach them, They're situated, they're dwelling near the Red Sea. The Jewish people look up and they see the Egyptian troops following them. This is when they cry out and they turn to Moshe and they say, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to take us to the desert to die here? We told you, let go of your dreams. Let us just worship the Egyptians. Let us be slaves. At least we can survive. It's better to be a slave than to be dead. That's where the story is holding right now. Moshe responds, and the Pasuk says, I'll read inside, Vayoymer Moshe ha'am. Moshe speaks to the people, and this is what he says. Hisyatzvu uru'u es Yeshua's Hashem. Asher yasa lachem hayoim. Ki asher yisem es Mitzrayim hayoim. Lo yisaisifu liroisem oid al oid ad oilam Hashem yilachim lachem v'atem tacharish. Quite a long response for Chumash. So what is Moshe telling them? Moshe says, first of all, don't be afraid. That's number one. Number two, stand. His yatsvah means stand. And see the salvation of Hashem. What he will do for you today. As you have seen in Egypt today, you will not see them again forever. Hashem will fight for you and you remain silent. The next scene, which is Shlishi, Today's today's Tuesday, so it's the third section. Hashem al Moshe Hashem speaks to Moshe. Why are you screaming? 
Speak to the children of Israel and let them move forward. Let them travel. Then he tells them, lift up your stick. <clears throat> Stretch out your arm on the sea. Ufka'eyu, it split it, and the Jewish people will go into the yam, into the sea in dry land. And the story continues, Kriyas Yamsov, the sea splits, and the Jewish people walk through it. What I want to focus on is Moshe Rabbeinu's very long response. He doesn't just say, don't worry, God will take care of you. He doesn't even say, Hashem will fight this war, you be quiet. He gives them almost this whole pilpul, this elaborate response. First of all, don't be scared. Second of all, stand. Third of all, see the God's salvation, what he does today. Next, you see Egypt today, you'll never see them again. Hashem will fight for you, will be sunk. Whenever you hear such a wordy response, obviously, there's a lot contained. He could have just said, don't worry, everything is going to be all right. Trust me, we got out of Egypt, we'll get out of this situation. But Moshe Rabbeinu puts in a lot of details into his response, which is why the Medrash fills in the gaps, as it always does. We discussed this many times, that the relationship between Medrash and text of Chumash it's like the relationship between a song and the harmony of the song. The harmony fills the gaps and gives the song its full resonance. So the Mechilta, which is one of the earliest commentaries on Sefer Shemais, it's called Mechilta, written by the Tanayim, the Chachmeh HaMishnah, the sages of Mishnah, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Akiva, has a fascinating commentary on these verses, and it transmits the oral tradition which it deduces from the text, that the Jewish people split it up into four kitas, into four groups. Although at the surface, it seems like everybody was afraid and everybody was scared and everybody was screaming and everybody said, let's just go back to Egypt and be slaves. And it's true, everybody was afraid, everybody was screaming. But there were actually four different philosophies that emerged at that moment of crisis. Remember, the Jews are stuck between, what do they call it? Between a a rock and a hard place. You can't go back and you can't go forward. There's a sea in front of them. It's impossible to enter into a sea and survive. Behind them, there are the Egyptian troops. So this is a situation where people feel stuck and desperate. And what do they tell Moshe? They're afraid. They scream to Hashem, and then they tell Moshe, are there not enough graves in Egypt? If this had to be the tragic end, we could have done it there. Besides, over there, at least, we stayed alive. Not all of us, but many of us could live. We lived as slaves. Here, we'll die as free people. Not only that, they tell him, we told this to you in Egypt. We said, right in the beginning, when Moshe came, we said, you're, you're lifting us up. You're telling us to dream big, only to throw us into the abyss. And people, you can understand this disappointment. You know, when somebody finally is given that, that uh, vision of light at the end of the tunnel, only to encounter more disappointment and, and more shame and more destruction. And it's so much more difficult that time around because before that I didn't trust. It was almost like the spear was part of the game. But when I already opened my heart, when I already tasted the promise of freedom, of, of redemption, when you took me down this new path, now I really feel exploited, manipulated to a much deeper degree. At least I knew I was a slave, but you made me believe I was a free person. And I ended up, of course, dying a miserable death, stuck between the Egyptians and the sea. Either I drown, or either I become a slave again. Moshe, we told you, let go. We were alive in Egypt. Yes, we had misery, we had agony, we had tragedy. It was, it wasn't, the, the, the slave labor was insane. 
but at least some of us could live. So Moshe's response is an elaborate response because he's not speaking to one group. He's speaking to four groups. And the Mechilta says that the Jewish people divided into four different kitas. A kita is like a, we call a kita class. Four different classes, four different units. One group said, Nipoil liyam. Let's jump into the sea. You may call it suicide. You may call it die a martyr's death rather than surrender to the Egyptians. You want to call it Mesiris Nefesh. Let's jump into the sea. Nipal Yam. That's what we should do. Another group said, Nachzer Mitzrayim. Let's just surrender. Raise the white flag and tell Parah, you know what? Let's go back. Yeah, we'll be flagged. We'll be punished. We'll probably be penalized very harshly for even trying to set ourselves free. But we'll go back. We'll go back and become slaves again. It's the best option. It may be a horrible option, but it's better than any other option. A third group said, let's go to war. Nilchaim Kenegdom. Let's enter into combat against the Egyptians. We'll fight. Now, who's going to win? Remember, the Jews at this point were not trained in battle. They have been 210 years under Egyptian control. For 86 years, the last 86 years, they were slaves. They were treated very harshly. They were persecuted. They were hunted down. They were subject to slave labor, besides all of the other horrible decrees. So they weren't trained in battle. They were not part of an army. Here, Pare brought his best troops, his best equipment, his choicest chariots. So who would win? Maybe the Egyptians would win, but at least we'll go down fighting. We'll go down in combat. We'll take down some of them. Right? There was a big argument that happened in the War Segeto. In the War Segeto in 1943, this was a huge argument. How do you deal with the Germans? Naturally, what do you do? Right? Some said, let's do nothing. At least some will survive. The other group said, no, let's fight. We'll lose, but we're going to fight. Take down a few of the, of, the, of the Germans. So this is what the Mechilta says, that this happened right there. And then, and then there was a fourth group. And the fourth group said, let's pray. It's time for davening. Let's daven to Hashem. Let him deal with it. He's the one who created this whole drama. He's the one who gave you the idea to leave. Put it in his hands. Four groups. Says the Mechilte, now listen to Moshe's response. And you'll hear, he's not speaking to one group. He's speaking to four different groups. And that's why he says four different things. And this is how the Mechilte interprets the Pesukim. Now come back and you'll see it in a different light. Vayoymer Moshe Moshe says, Altiro, all of you, I say, don't be afraid. And here he goes. Hisyatsvu. Stand. Stand in one place. Hisyatsvu. Stand. Don't move. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the group that says, let's jump. Let's jump into the sea. Let's go into the water. He says, no, 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 don't. You'll watch the Yeshua that Hashem will do. Next, he speaks to the group that wants to go back. You're not going back to Egypt. <laughs> a lot of water came under that bridge. That ship has, as they say, sailed. It's, it's left the harbor. We're not going back to Mitzrayim. You see Mitzrayim today, but you will not see them again. You're not going to be continuing your life in Egypt with the Egyptians under the tyranny of the Egyptians. Moshe continues. Hashem yilachem lachem. Who is he speaking to? 
He's speaking to the group that says, let's fight. Let's go down fighting. And who knows? Maybe we'll even win. You don't know. You fight. We'll see. We go down. We're victorious, even if we're defeated. But let's be defeated as combatants, as warriors, not as victims, not as abused shmatas, as slaves. He says, no, Hashem will fight. The biggest Kiddush is he speaks to the last group that said, let's pray. Let's daven. Let's scream out to Hashem. Atem tacharishu. You remain silent. <laughs> you be quiet. This is Moshe's response to each one of the four groups. Now you see why his response is wordy. Why he puts it so. He doesn't just say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. He's actually tuning into what everybody said. So the Chazal are again giving us the full resonance, the full music. It wasn't just all the Jews screaming the same thing. You never have a few million Jews anyway screaming the same thing. You can't even have 10 Jews screaming the same thing. Right? Never happened. Doesn't happen. I don't know if it will happen. Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem Shalom. Three Jews, 19 opinions. You know, somebody once said, when two Jews meet, if within a few minutes they don't establish a family connection, one of them is probably not Jewish. And I would say, within they meet, if within a few minutes there's no disagreement, probably one of them is not Jewish. So Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't just give a generic message, which would be wonderful. He gives a very specific message because he's addressing each philosophy. What's the next Pasuk? Hashem says, Why are you screaming to me? Tell the Jewish people to travel. Well, that seems, that seems awfully familiar and similar to one of the groups. <laughs> one of the groups said, let's go forward and jump into the sea. Moshe said, wait, stand. But then he says, But no one came up with this idea. Is this a fifth idea? Is this one of the four ideas? Obviously, it's not one of the four ideas because Moshe rejects all the four ideas. So this must be another idea, but nobody came up with it. It says there were four groups. There weren't five groups. This is Hashem's response to Moshe. So speak to the Jewish people and let them travel. Let them travel. That's what they have to know. You travel. They're not jumping into a sea. They're traveling. One second, you can't travel. They're stuck. That's the problem. <laughs> Everybody could say travel. There's nowhere to go. He said, now there's going to be something else. What's going to happen is, it's my responsibility that they should be able to travel. That they don't have to worry about. They're not going to split the sea. That we'll already take care of. I'll take care of it through you, through your stick, through your arm. They have to know that you saw travel. Now you can understand why nobody came up with this idea. How are we supposed to travel? Where are we supposed to travel to? So this is God's idea. You travel, but there's a problem. You can't travel. So now there's my piece. My piece is I have to allow the journey to be successful. I have to allow the journey to happen, to materialize, to be executed. There's water in front of them. There's a huge body of water in front of them. But what's, what they have to know is, one word, you travel. What is the novelty of this insight? What is the chiddush of this? Why did none of the four groups understand this? I think it's clear. <laughs> Because they were looking at it from a certain perspective, and traveling is really very difficult when you have nowhere to travel. So what were these four groups saying? What is Hashem telling these four groups? What is Moshe's response in the name of Hashem to these four groups? Why are all these four groups wrong? What is the paradigm from which they were living on, from which they, what is the paradigm they were experiencing and Moshe says, no, we have to look at it differently. Like in all these stories, they're not just physical stories of four groups 
that's split into four philosophies, four shittas, four opinions, that too. But they're reflective of four ways of looking at life, four ways of looking at the world. And then there is another way, call it a fifth way, or call it better, the divine way, divine perspective. Because the story that happens with the Jewish people at that time is really a timeless story. Of course, it expresses itself in so many different ways and fashions. It's manifested in so many different forms and colors. But the, the, the geist, the spirit of the story, is one that always unfolds in history and in life. What's the story? The story is that a person or a group or a nation or a people, an individual or a collective, find themselves in a, in, in a very difficult situation. Not just a difficult situation, but stuck, and stuck between two forces, two realities. One reality which spells the end of liberty, the end of emancipation, the end of of happiness, of comfort, of normalcy. And the other option, of course, spells the end of everything, death. In the sea, a person can't live. And going back to Egypt, there's an expression in Yiddish, mekenesh leb mitem, mekenesh leb andem. And if I go back to Egypt... What type of life is it? What type of life? You know, they told them, <laughs> it's one of these old Russian jokes, for those who grew up with Russian parents and grew up with Soviet jokes. This is one of the classic Soviet jokes. The KGB would show up in people's homes in the middle of the night at any hour of the day or of the night. This is what life under Stalin looked like in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and even after Stalin's death in 53, until the end of communism, there was always the danger that somebody's going to knock on your door and your new address will be in the gulag in Siberia even under Khrushchev and, and Brezhnev and Andropov and uh, until the fall of uh, communism in 1989. So there's this old story that one of the KG, a KGB agent, he, uh, he knocks on the door. <coughs> and, uh, and a Jew opens the door and he says, Goldstein, this is the house of uh, Goldstein lives here. He says, no, absolutely not. He uh, looks, the person looks in the house and, you know, a communist home, they had nothing. You couldn't have bread, you didn't have food, you didn't have furniture, you didn't have clothes. The poverty was insane. As Churchill once said, the difference between socialism and capitalism is capitalism is the unequal distribution of wealth and communism is the equal distribution of misery. Everybody gets it and everybody gets it in equal terms. So uh, he says, you call, you, you, you lie to me, I have papers, I have your picture, how do you say that you don't live here? And this old Jew looks at him and he says, you call this living? So, so the question is, you call this living, I'm going to go back to Egypt, what type of life is it? What does this mean in a person's life? It could be expressed in many ways. But the common denominator is, a person finds themselves in a situation, and there's a reality, there are circumstances and the circumstances are overwhelming. The, the circumstances are painful. The circumstances may come from within or from without. But the common denominator is, I don't know where to go from here. There's no easy option. I can't just make believe it never happened. It did happen. I'm right here. And what do I do? Sometimes it's all within a person's brain. Sometimes we're talking about circumstances that are all internal. Sometimes circumstances that affect one's marriage, affect one's family, one's children, one's health, one's psychological, mental, emotional space. 
in a very private, intimate way or in a more expansive way. It affects a group and affects individuals. But it's a very difficult situation, especially people who have suffered very deep emotional pain through abuse or through dysfunction. And their mind is so difficult to deal with. They wake up in the morning. You know, people, people who haven't been through different types of abuse don't even understand what other people go through. That's why in the parsha of the last few weeks, so many people have emerged to be so clueless. <laughs> and you wonder where such cluelessness, and it's important to be Malamet Schus, and that is not to whitewash cluelessness, but to understand where people are coming from. That if somebody hasn't been through certain experiences or haven't, hasn't listened to people who have been through experiences, they really don't know. They really don't know. They say, you know, just get over it. Just get over it. And it's very painful. You know, it's like somebody rips your kishkas out or takes your heart and says, you know, just get over it, right? Slices off a piece of your brain and says, you know, just get over it. <laughs> I can get over a scratch, you know? I can get over some other stuff. But some things that paralyze a person and traumatize, I can't just get over it because the part that you want to get over it is not here anymore. <laughs> it's like tell a dead person, you know, just get over the fact you died, you know? I, I, I know it's a funny metaphor, but it's not. If, if a part of a person died, who do you want to get over it? You want the dead person to get over the live person? There's a part that, that, that's dead. Like, you really need chiyas amesim, and the only way that can happen is complete, complete empathy and compassion and understanding. People could transcend a lot. People could transcend everything because the soul is more infinite than any abuser. And the light in a person's soul is a mamish, and God ultimately can't be abused or destroyed. But to reach that awareness takes tremendous amount of compassion and grief work and deep, deep introspection and support and empathy. So when a person is experiencing such moments, you know, you could look at this person and say, what's the big deal? Just move, just move on. It's easy for me to say move on. Do I know what it takes for this person just to get out of bed? what it takes from this person to cultivate a place of optimism in their brain, to be able to find hope, solace, comfort in their future. And if I don't know, I have to really listen and tune in to what this person is experiencing. I can judge, I can denigrate, I can insult, I could scream at you, I could say, oh, get over this stupidity. A fellow called me just a few days ago. As a child, he was molested for a few years. He lives here in Muncie. And he told me that uh, a few weeks ago, he sent his son to his father for Shabbos. His father lives in a different community. So he sent his son to his father for Shabbos. He's a, a young boy, you know, 10 or 11 before Bar Mitzvah. So he called his father and he said, you know, my boy is going to be with you for Shabbos and I'm sure I'll have a great time. And he's looking forward to be with you and with Bobby. But please make sure, you know, that's the community where I grew up. And I suffered a lot. So please make sure that you pay attention and you p keep your eyes open and you know every moment where this child is. It's Friday night and Shabbos day and Shabbos afternoon and Shabbos morning. And he told me, my father tells me on the phone, he says, oh, you're still busy with that stupidity? <laughs> Get over it already. And uh, he said it was, it was a dagger in my chest. He shared this with me, and he wasn't upset at his father, because this was his father's attitude all along. His father's attitude was, 
You know, when you were young, I had to show compassion because you had these problems. But now, I was hoping you're an adult. You grew up, you're a father, you're almost a Zayda. He said, and the lack of understanding was so, so painful. Now, it's so important that such a person doesn't turn the lack of somebody's understanding into a reason to become a victim. Just because you don't understand my life, I shouldn't now use that as a reason not to understand my life and to allow your misunderstanding to derail me. That's where a person needs empowerment. You don't allow another person's cluelessness to control your destiny. That's even more painful than their cluelessness, because you know that they're clueless. So why are clueless people controlling your destiny? But this is where a person needs empowerment and hope and inner stamina and vigor. But from the perspective of the father or the mother, or the grandfather, or the uncle or the aunt or the rabbi or the rebbitzin, you can't, you know the wars that this person had to deal with because for three years his most intimate part was violated and therefore his inner system was crushed. And when he developed, became 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, his sense of self and identity was completely manipulated, of blaming himself and shaming himself and thinking that he's unworthy for eternity. You can't just say, oh, I thought you grew up already. Grew up for What? <laughs> the PTSD that still exists, it's, it's a wound that's very profound. And I say all of this because when we talk about people being stuck, it doesn't necessarily mean in a very evident and manifested way that everybody could look and say, Oy vey, let's raise money for this poor person. Sometimes you're talking about deep emotional, <coughs> excuse me, brokenness that is so, <coughs> is so stifling. <laughs> I don't know how to move forward. I don't know. And sometimes I don't even know how to ask the question. You know, asking a question is already, there's an expression, a wise question is already a half an answer. When you phrase the question correctly, it's already, you're already on the road. Sometimes I don't even know how to ask the question. Right? The night of Pesach, we ask questions. Why do we ask questions? Because questions is the genesis of freedom. The fact that I can ask, I can wonder, I can explore. I'm not frozen. I'm not, you know, we spoke last week, right, about the, the, the amygdala. When it gets frozen, I get frozen. I can't ask any questions. But asking questions means there's a vibrancy, there's a curiosity, there's an inquisitiveness. I ask, is there a path? Sometimes I can't even ask that question. It takes courage. It takes courage to ask the question. <coughs> and then, stuckness can express itself in so many different ways. Every person in their own life often finds a situation where if I look forward, I have nowhere to go. And if I look back, I have nowhere to go. And we naturally develop four different philosophies. And actually, I'm not gonna, we're not going to do again neuroscience this week. <laughs> and which part of the brain develops which philosophy, but it's different parts of the brain that are accentuated by different people that come up with different responses to see, see situations. And generally, they're described as four responses. One, surrender. Two, jump into the sea. Three, fight. Four, pray. Now, some of them actually seem very benign. One of them actually seems to be very Jewish, very spiritual, very holy. We're, we're a nation that prays. We believe in prayer. Rashi says in Bashalach, when it says, the Jews cried out to God. Rashi says, Tafsu. It's an amazing Rashi. Tafsu umnus 
crying out to God, they fetched the trade, the profession of their, of their forefathers. This is what Avram did, this is what Yitzchak did, this is what Yaakov did. And yet in this situation, Moshe says, shh, shh, it's time to be silent. What are these four philosophies in life? They weren't just four philosophies for the moment. They're four philosophies for the journey of life. There's the journey from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim to Matan Torah. But there's a second journey from Matan Torah to, the, to Mashiach. It says that by Matan Torah, Hashem sounded the shofar of Echala Amroyim as a shofar. As a koilas v'salapidim, they saw the voice of the shofar. Which shofar was it? So Chazal say, the ram of Yitzchak. The ram that Avram Avinu encountered by the Akedah of Yitzchak. And he offered in lieu of Yitzchak. That ram represented Yitzchak. And there were two horns that that ram had. Like we use on Shoifer, we on, on Rosh Hashanah, we use the Shoifer of the ram, of the aisle. Why the ram? So the Chazal said in Masech Rosh Hashanah to remember the Akedah of Yitzchak. It had two horns. It says in Pekah the Rebeleza, one horn was used by Matan Torah. And the second horn is Tka B'Shoifer Godel L'Cheruseinu. As we say in Rosh Hashanah from the prophet Yeshaya. So that's the shoifer, the second shoifer, which is the second horn of the aisle. Now what's the connection? Because there's a journey. The journey begins with Avram Avinu. The journey is consolidated when the Jewish people leave Egypt by Tzirch HaSam and Mitzrayim to come to this mountain, Harazah. But then there's the journey from mountains, from the mountain, from Sinai to Geula, from Sinai to Mashiach, which is all one journey. And that's why the Navi Micha says, that the wonders when Mashiach comes are going to be a replica and even greater than what happened in Egypt because it's a journey from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, from the first redemption, ultimately to the ultimate Geula, to the ultimate redemption. The journey from Egypt to Har Sinai went through this stage. And that's what Bashalach is. Boy, they leave Egypt. Yisrael there at Sinai, B'Shalach is the journey. And the journey is a difficult journey. The sea has to split, and in that journey, they feel stuck. That stuckness will repeat itself in the second journey, and not once. It will repeat itself in every generation. In that second journey from Sinai to Yisrael, through the desert, and then ultimately to exile and back, and exile and back. In that long journey towards the ultimate gula, towards the second horn, Jews also find themselves stuck physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And again, collectively, communally, and very often individually. Because the Torah is always telling stories of the Klal, but also of the Prat. Klal and Prat. We operate on both levels of consciousness. And there could be very easily four responses. One response is, Nachzol Mitzrayim. And I think we all understand what that means. It's called, get down your high horse. Save face, climb down from your tree, stop dreaming, young man, young woman. Surrender, resign. Your expectations were not realistic. What you see as life is maybe some sweet, romantic dream that somebody planted in you. But now it's time to embrace reality. Be realistic. Don't be naive. Don't be in la-la land. Egypt rules. <laughs> Mitzrayim rules. The word Mitzrayim comes from the word Meitzar. Meitzarim, which means restrictions. It's not going to sound so good. Mitzrayim rules. In English, restrictions rule. We are restricted people. 
We are finite people. We have limited tools. We're weak. We're frail. We're mortal. Our brains are very pliable and very vulnerable and very mushy. That whole consciousness, yeah, like this. And the winds of the New York winter are bleeding us. (laughs) And it's freezing. Life is freezing, you know. Just find your little cozy corner. (laughs) And don't try to warm up the world. It's not going to happen. You have to appreciate Parai rules. Mitzrayim rules. And even when you thought you got away, you know that you're not going to get away. You went a few miles. You feel free. You suddenly woke up as a free person, but the nightmare has returned. So why allow yourself more disappointment? And why allow yourself more heartbreak? And why allow yourself more dreams that will be unfulfilled and unmaterialized? Just embrace the sad reality. As someone once said, life is tragic. Embrace it. And when you embrace it, you at least have peace. You'll know I'm a slave and this is what it is, right? I often get such emails from people or hear from people. Should I just give up? Should I just surrender? Pyre rules. I know it's dysfunctional. I know it's painful. I know it's insanity. But that's what we do. Because what's the alternative? Naxal Mitzrayim is a very deep philosophy in life. Maybe it's not so deep, but it's a very, it's a very, it's a very understandable, I should say, instinctive philosophy. Pick up the white flag and surrender. What Pare does, he'll do. This is the philosophy of resignation to reality the way it's perceived by me. Now we have the opposite. <laughs> the opposite is Nipalayam, jump into the sea. Of course, sometimes it's translated in very tragic terms. Literally, you give up on the possibility of finding any goodness in life, any meaning in life. A person says that the alternative to death is so much pain, so much horrific mental anguish that the alternative almost seems sweet. There are other ways of explaining the reason people are motivated to do this, but it's not for now. The point is, Nippalayam, in the most stark, tragic level, is I'm not going to surrender to Pare. I don't want to surrender. At least I'll finish it off. In some way, it seems redemptive to the person. They probably jumped from the World Trade Center when the smoke or the fire entered the room, no? I'm, right? So it was one form of death or, or another form of death and maybe hope beyond hope. I'm, I don't know. I don't know that it's... Uh... I know, I know. But over there it seems to me that if the fires or the smoke were filling the room, maybe hope beyond hope, at least let me do something, right? Let me be active. I know it didn't help. Tragically, they died, but could have been a very different approach. You understand what I'm saying? Huh? The spark of perhaps, as they call it, yeah. Yeah. What's Nippalayam on a deeper level? Nippalayam, person says, I'll jump into the water, but there's also something deeper. And that is complete segregation from the physical world. Yam is defined in Svarim as Almadis Kasya, the concealed world. In the time of the Gula, it says, The world will be filled with divine awareness like water covers the sea. 
The fish are submerged in water. They don't come out of the water. That's where they live. So being submerged in the water is an invisible state of reality that is a completely different state of consciousness. The person doesn't surrender, but the person says, I'm going to go into a cocoon. I'm going to go into a mikveh. I'm going to go into a place of purity. I'm going to submerge myself in a sea of Torah, in a sea of tefillah, in a place of absolute spiritual transcendence. This is nipalayam, not in a gory sense of, 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 of taking my life, but submerging my life in a world of sanctity, in a world of transcendence, in a world of holiness, like, so to speak, metaphorically, becoming that fish in the water. There's an expression in Yiddish, it comes, I think, from the Kotsky, used to say that when it's cold in the world, when it's cold, so you have what's called a tzaddik in pelts. A tzaddik in pelts was an expression of somebody who's very righteous, and it's a very cold world, so what do you do? You buy yourself a pelts. A pelts is a very fur coat, right? Some of you should be wearing a pelts today. And uh, <laughs> a mink coat, a fur coat, a pelts is a fur coat, and you put it on so that you stay warm. I cannot warm up a world at least I can warm up myself. Nipalayam. We call this escapism. And the escapism sometimes is a very, it's, 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 it's a moral escapism. It comes with the voice of deep spirituality, of deep sensitivity. This is the philosophy in life where I become detached from reality. Emotionally too, we have these two reactions. One reaction is, it's so painful, I just surrender. And I really become a surrendered person, a surrendered person. In, in, in reality, that's who I am. The other element is I become a detached person. <laughs> They're both responding to the same pain. But one response is I just let go and I become a real victim. And the other one is I just stop noticing things. I'm living like in a different world. Some people's response to trauma is they detach. Emotionally, they're not connected. What we spoke last week, they go offline. A part of their brain goes offline. It's too painful to be here. I go into a different place. Suddenly, you look at them, things don't affect them. Now, sometimes it looks very, very beautiful. Wow, they have so much self-control. Now, there is something very beautiful about it because they did it because they don't want to get hurt and they don't want to be confrontational. They don't want to hurt others. But it's also something very painful. They don't really feel anymore. They don't let things get to them. There's like a disconnect. I don't have to respond, so I'm never going to be confrontational. I'm never going to attack. I won't explode. I won't even implode. I will, but I won't notice it. Because <laughs> I don't notice what's happening inside of me. It's like a certain detail. Like you live in a, in a certain space of reality. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? If you're in that space, you, maybe you know what I'm talking about. If you already woke up. If you're living with somebody who's in that space, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's a very painful it's very painful because it's not coming by choice. The person almost had to cut wires. They had to cut the wires because there was too much electricity coming my way. I can't. Let's just cut the wires. And I won't feel the voltage. And then I'm fine. You could send as much voltage. Now you could throw rocks at this person. You could say horrible things to this person. And they won't respond. And you, it's like, wow, this is the tzaddik of the generation. No, he's disconnected. <laughs> he couldn't allow himself to feel. He's a tzaddik, maybe. Maybe that's why he did it. But he or she, there's, there's a real disconnect. They're in the ocean. There's a certain part that's not alive completely. And there's a reason for it. Life was too hard. Life was too painful. To remain present, to remain present, 
is to remain present to paradoxes that I can't make peace with. To remain present in that moment is, there's Egypt, there's a sea. It, it's too much, it's overwhelming. I can't remain present. My life is at stake, so what do I do? <laughs> I'm not going to surrender. I'm just going to go into a different world. And it's a very idealistic world sometimes. It's even a very holy world. Sometimes, in fact, it's painful to mention, but sometimes the person can choose religion as that world. Because in many ways it looks so, so sweet. It looks so benign. And religion creates a cocoon where you could become a hero from being disconnected. And we always have to look at these things with a lot of compassion, with a lot of sensitivity. In other words, I can escape into a world and be in this communion with a higher reality, which is really a reality that just keeps me disconnected from people, keeps me disconnected from myself, keeps me disconnected from the reality around me. But I had no choice when I was a child and I decided to do this because I felt stuck. There's a third philosophy. The third philosophy is combat, war. You know those people? <laughs> They're always at war. <laughs> They're always at war. I once heard from Elie Wiesel that uh, we Jews like fighting, but we're sophisticated. So we call our fighting, we give our fighting sophisticated names. We fight with the whole world. We don't like to call it fighting, so we call it sociology. Right? Every Jew I know is a sociologist or won a Nobel Prize for sociology. Then we fight with God. It's not fun to say you're fighting with God, so we call it theology. Now you fight with yourself, so we call it psychology. Right? What is psychology? Psychology is, <laughs> Jews realize they're always fighting with themselves. They said, let's turn it into a science. What does this battle look like? Right? <laughs> so it became psychology. What does the battle with self look like? People who don't battle with themselves never heard of psychology. What's psychology? You live. Why are you battling? You live. But if I'm not sure who I am, what I am, why I'm alive, when am I alive, am I too self-conscious, too not self-conscious? Am I a shmata? Am I a warrior? Am I a fighter? Am I a victim? Am I a slave? Am I a master? Am I good? Am I bad? Am I almost good? Am I almost bad? Am I a failure? Am I a success? Anybody knows about these questions? So you also fight with yourself? Okay, I'm not the only one. Wow, thanks for the validation. What's this third philosophy? I battle. I engage in battle. I'm frustrated. I didn't disconnect. I'm not running anywhere. And I'm not going to surrender. I'm busy fighting. I'm fighting schools and I'm fighting systems. I'm fighting rabbis and I'm fighting rebbitsons. I'm fighting with me and I'm fighting with my spouse. I'm fighting my shvig and I'm fighting my shvah. I'm fighting my kids. I'm fighting systems. I'm fighting. I'm fighting, 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 fighting. And sometimes this person really needs that confrontation for survival. Almost, <laughs> You have to look at it as a form of oxygen. It's really a way of saying, I'm going to go down fighting. If I lose, I lose, but I'm going to combat. But it's a certain perspective. Sometimes I'm busy fighting with myself too, not even with others. I'm not disconnected. I'm very connected. And I don't want to surrender. And there are so many battles inside of myself, and that's what I'm busy with. It's a third way of living. There's a fourth way of living. The fourth way of living is, I turn to God and I say, listen, this mess is beyond me. <laughs> I have nothing to do. Here, take it. Take it. And realize all these three, all these four perspectives have 
righteous goodness to them. They're all good in the right place, in the right time, in the right context. There are times a person has to fight. There are times a person has to compromise and be flexible and say you win. There are times a person has to detach. A person has to say, I can't be here. And there are certainly times a person has to say, God, here, take the kasha. You cooked up the kasha here, take the kasha. I daven, surrender tasha. Each one of these groups, in its proper context, it has its moment. It has its redeeming moments. But the question is, as a philosophy in the journey of life, from Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim to Matan Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu told all four, you're missing a major point. It's all based on a paradigm that is erroneous. He's not blaming them and he's not judging them. But it's a paradigm that you yourself must work on to be able to transcend and incorporate both. Because real transcendence comes through incorporation, through encompassing and then transcending, sublimating. When we go into Shabbos, at the end of L'Chadoidi, we turn around. If you ever go to Shul Friday night, you see at the end of L'Chadoidi, everybody turns around. Why? So Reb Tzadik HaKoyen of Leblin says, because after L'Chadoidi, you say, Mizmer Shiliyam HaShabbos, you go into Shabbos, and naturally people don't want to turn around. You just want to run into Shabbos. He says you have to turn around and take everything with you. Sometimes people make shifts in life and you don't want to turn around. Or sometimes I meet people who are Bali Tshuva. They struggled a lot and they returned to Judaism and they want to detach from their family, from their past, from their background. But it's not the way. You have to turn around. In other words, my past is part of my present. It's not a mistake. If I grew up in a certain home, in a certain reality, that was part of my journey. I don't... You never have to be embarrassed with your past. It's painful sometimes that in religious communities, Bali Tshuva feel that they're never allowed to talk about where they came from because nobody will want to marry their kids and they won't get to good seminaries, their kids won't get into yeshivas, it's going to affect Shaduchim. There are people I know 30, 40 years, they devastate. I asked somebody once, <laughs> I didn't know it was so traumatic. I said, you're a Bali Because I just heard something that they quoted and it's not something that FFBs usually know. <laughs> So I, in all in it, I said, you're Shuva? person, how do you know? It was almost like, you know, I found their birth certificate that had this horrible, horrible demonic skeleton inside of it. You know, like, you know, their great-grandfather was Genghis Khan or something. And uh, it was almost like I exposed it. Like, how, how do you know? Like, where on my nose did you see it? And I'm like, I thought it was positive. It's amazing. It means you have courage. You, you're creative. You actually chose your life. <laughs> you probably have a deep relationship with God. And this person looked at me and like, really? It's so sad when we create an environment within our own hearts where I can't turn around and take everything with me. And there's no space for it because that means I'm not making space for myself. If I can't make space for my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my background, my home, whatever home it was. So the Tzaddik says something beautiful. Before you go into Shabbos, you have to turn around and take Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with you. That's why before the Chadaydi, the Arizal Institute, we say six kapitlach of Tehillim. L'chuneranana, shiru l'ashem, mizmar, shiru, Hashem malach, mizmar, it's for the six days of the week. If you'll realize, Friday night, if you look in the davening, 
we say one capital for each day of the week because the first one, the you go back to Sunday. And then Shiru Lashem, you go to Monday. And you bring it all along. And then Mizmer Shaliyam Shabbos is seven, number seven for Shabbos. So when we speak about going to a fifth group, a transcendence always comes with sublimation, with incorporation. What's the paradigm upon which the four groups are built? And what was Hashem telling Moshe Rabbeinu? And how do I say it in five minutes? That's a bigger question. I also have four options. I could surrender. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you the other options. I could pray. That's good. (laughs) The paradigm upon which all four ideas are built is the paradigm of, of loneliness. It's the paradigm of separateness. It's a paradigm that I could live with deeply because of my life experiences. So whenever we talk about enhancing our paradigm, it's never about judging it or crushing it or getting upset at yourself. But it's really about tuning into the core of it and then lifting it up from there. Now here, I'm going to point out one more statement in Moshe's words. He says, in Pasuk Yud Gimel, if you could look again, You saw Egypt today, you'll never see them again. Who was he speaking to? The group that said, let's surrender. But one second, he could have just said, you're never going back, you'll never see Egypt again. He doesn't say that, he says, you see Mitzrayim today, but you'll never see them again. I know we see them today. Obviously, we're looking at them. That's the problem. Moshe should say, don't worry. Why does he say, So the Baal says something incredible. What Moshe was telling them was this. The reason you're not going to see them again is because you see them today. It's because since you see them today, therefore you won't see them again. Meaning, by allowing yourself to see them today, you won't have to ever see them again. If you won't allow yourself to see them today, you're going to see them again and again and again. So Baal Shem Tov said, it's a one-liner. Now you have to explain what he means. So I'll tell you what I think he means. But it's very profound what he's saying. He's saying, I have to be able to look once at this Mitzrayim that I don't want to ever see again. And if I could really look at it, I'll never have to look back. <laughs> I'll never have to go there again. If I don't look at it, what's going to happen? It's going to remain in my system. The only thing is it's going to remain in my subconscious system. And it's going to leak out in dysfunctional ways. And the reason it's going to leak out is because I never allowed myself to see it. And it knew that it's not, it knew that I don't allow myself to see it. So what happens? It goes into hiding places from where it yields and wields, it's in, wields, it's influence. And its impact on me, but in ways that are extremely overwhelming. I don't know enough about it to really talk about it intelligently, but if, uh, from what I know a little bit about Dr. Sarna's method of dealing with back pain, right? And uh, I spoke to somebody who has a lot of back pain, and they told me that they went to a very conventional doctor. And the conventional doctor, who was doing all the conventional things, which Dr. Sarna used to do, 
said to them that you're too intelligent to believe in these, <laughs> in these foolish ideas. You're too intelligent. <laughs> so I know some people get very, very offended, uh, in the, people in the medical community, when you mention these alternative realities. But just as people could be closed-minded in one extreme, people can equally be closed-minded in another extreme and use science to remain completely blocked to anything that doesn't suit their comfort zone and their 40 or 50 years of practice. I'm just mentioning that as an idea in everything. So if I believe, if I, if I understand correctly, one of his very profound ideas is that when I'm dealing with an emotional pain, my body's trying to protect me. And my body knows that this pain is too intense for me to handle. I'm not ready to confront it. So what does the body do? The body do, says, you know what, I'll kick in for you. I'll give you good pain in the back. It will distract you from all the other pain. And you know what? You'll be able to live many years. When somebody says, how are you? You'll just complain about your back. Oh, my back, my back, my back. And you'll run from one chiropractor to another chiropractor. Take this pill, take that pill. If it's really bad, you'll take an epidural. If it's really bad, you'll go for surgery. You'll complain another 10 years. And then you'll have something else. Baruch Hashem, you'll never have to deal with reality. The body is trying to do you a favor. And if you could turn to the body and tell the goof, tie it a goof, you're trying to protect me. But listen, you don't have to. <laughs> I want to open myself up to the real pain. Magic, unbelievable things happen, right? So now, without getting into that detail about back pain, but I think there's a few people sitting here in this room who have been by Dr. Sarna, and he has helped them significantly through this method, physically, right? If I'm not mistaken, I think I know two or three people. Quite a few years ago, he already passed away, I think two years ago, three years ago. So what, what the Baal Shem Tev is saying here, 300 years ago, before there was a concept called therapy or psychology or psychoanalysis or neurosciences, if you look at Mitzrayim, you won't have to see them again. If you don't look at them, you're going to see them again and again and again and again. And yet again, look at them. Don't be afraid to look at them. Now that seems a paradoxical. I'm trying to get away from Mitzrayim. I want you to get away from Mitzrayim, and therefore I want you to look, to look at it. And when you can look at it, but look at it from a place of a free person, then you won't have to look at them again. And this is the beginning where there's a paradigm shift to Dabir al Yisrael v'Yisrael. What does this mean in our lives? All of these four responses are based on one very, very deep, deep-seated ingrained traumatic belief that we have. And that is, we don't realize that our beings, that our lives, that our existences are as good and as beautiful as they are. It's hard for us to really entertain it. Yes, we use words. We're, we're good Jews. And we use the right words, you know, every neshama is a chelik elekami mal, and, and a person's life is precious, and you have dignity, and we believe it too. But I'm not talking about saying it or believing it. I'm talking about breathing it, experiencing it, really experiencing it in my gut, in my kishkas, in my heart. We spoke last week about das, not just data in books, but data in the soul, the same belibenu bina lahavin ulahaske lishmaya lilma de lalamad lishmar velasas ulakayim baahava vahoyre nenu basarasach. Translating information 
into experience, which may be very difficult because of my blockages. And if I have those blockages, at least I have to be aware of those blockages. In fact, the word pare, the Balatanya says, the Arizal says, is the same letters like ha'irif. Ha'irif is the nape, ha'irif. is the nape in the back. And he says that when their mind wants to inspire the heart, pare stands in the nape and puts out a barrier not to allow that translation, not to allow that articulation, not to allow the flow. The, flow. the shortest highway in the world has also the most traffic. You know which one? It's 13 inches. <laughs> it's the highway between this and this. 13 inches. Most traffic. In Hebrew, they call it pkak. On Waze or Google Maps, 17 hours. Sometimes 17 years. Sometimes 67 years to get there. Why? Pare. Ha'irif. Yeah. Yeah. It's connected to that symbol. So that nape, ha'irif, right, obstructs that flow of energy. I can't experience it. What does this experience look like? This experience looks like that the person really, really, truly appreciates that when I say I am in darkness, I am stuck. It's all based on three words. I am stuck. Very normal experience. I get it. Now, if I am stuck, either I fight or I run or I give up. I die in a different way. Or I give up in the sense that I become passive and I say, Hashem, this is a crazy world. It's your world. All are based on one paradigm. The paradigm is, I don't see myself for who I really am, which is an ambassador of Hashem in this world. I am Hashem. I am a manifestation. I am the derivative divine consciousness. That's really who I am. That's what Einoid Mulvade means. Einoid Mulvade means that the words I am stuck is already based on a paradigm that my I is separate, broken, fragmented, detached, lonely. Now the question is what I do with it. It's also based on a second paradigm. And that is that the world is not really God's world. The world is really a bad place, an evil place. The question is damage control. So either I fight the world, either I run from the world, either I give it up to God, or either I just lower my expectations. What does Moshe Rabbeinu tell the Jewish people? What changes? He says, the problem is, your question is part of the problem. You have to think you're part of the solution. You're not part of the problem. My very question, how it's going to work out, is already despair that took me over. You see, the question sounds sophisticated, but the very question is, it's impossible. How? How? That question is a symptom of a certain form of yish. You're on a journey. V'yiso. Go on that journey. That journey is a divine journey. That journey is yours. What does that journey look like? That journey is a journey from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim to Har Sinai. From Har Sinai to Geula. What is it a journey towards? It's a journey towards filling your life and filling the world with light, with oneness, with love, with compassion. You're an ambassador. What are you ambassador for? You're an ambassador, as we always say, of love, of light, of hope, of truth, of authenticity, of wisdom, of redemption. You say, yeah, but you know who I am and I'm this and I'm this. I got it. We got to work it through. 
But that I that is feeling so stuck, if I could clear up, if I could clear it up, if I could tune into awareness, this is where we're continuing from last year's, last week's class about Pchira. Pare means I don't live in a world of Pchira. I live in a world of triggers. You're, you trigger me, and all I can do is react. I don't know how to respond. I only know how to react. <laughs> it's like a machine. You press the button, boom, I react. But can I respond? I can only respond from a place of consciousness. I can only respond from the empty space between stimuli and response. That empty space where my neshama lives, where my tzalem alakim lives, where my divinity lives. That empty space that is not controlled by anybody. That empty space that is the reflection of God in this world. That empty space that is not stuck in any situation or any past. If I could respond from there and say, what is my journey right now? I'm here. V'yiso. What does that journey look like today to get closer to the mountain called Har Sinai? To get closer to that space called redemptiveness. What is my journey? So you say, no, you don't realize. You're naive. You're in la-la land. Egypt is behind you. There's a sea in front of you. You can't. You're stuck. Hashem says, you now got lured in to the language of trauma. You got lured into the language of your finiteness, of your inability. You are my ambassador to travel. But there's a sea there. Travel. There's a sea. If I have to split it so that you should be able to get through, I'm going to split it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to figure out every single aspect of how it's going to work out and use your limited tools that may be affected by a lot of ignorance, or even if not, but they're still limited, in order to try to turn into logic things that transcend your experience of them or your understanding of them. So one philosophy said, I have to resign, I have to surrender. Resignation is the name of the game. This could never be done. Just give up. What is that based That's based on the fact that darkness prevails. Evil prevails. Dysfunction prevails. Shame prevails. Guilt prevails. Abuse prevails. Negativity prevails. Let's just smile and embrace it. Another philosophy says, escape. Detach. You can't be present. It's too painful. What it's again, what prevails? Shame. Cut the wires, you'll be safe. Run into your pelts and you'll be safe. Another says, fight. I'm going to live in a place of negativity, of frustration, of anger, of fighting all the the ills in the world, of fighting all the evil in the world. I am Mr. Fighter. I am Mr. Mulchama. I am the address. If you want a good fight, you come to me. I thrive on... I thrive on the drama and the action of another Melchama. Again, what am I believing? There's a real duality. There's a real split. Wholeness is not possible. And then there's the fourth philosophy that says, ultimately, passivity is the way to go in this world. You're not a partner of Hashem. Just tell Hashem, you do everything, I won't disturb you. Again, I don't realize who I am. I don't realize that I'm a shutif la'kadosh baruch hu that I'm a partner. Of course, davening is critical. Davening is the backbone of the Jew. But what does davening mean? Davening doesn't mean at the expense of traveling. 
Davening means that I'm anchored in the core of my relationship so I should be able to be truly proactive, so that I should be able to be a partner, so I should be able to maximize my potentials. So Dabr Abnei Yisrael means you're trying to figure out how everything is going to work out based on your limited tools instead of appreciating the fact that you are as wholesome as it gets. You're God's ambassador in this world. He gave, put you on a journey, V'yisau. Sometimes I understand things, sometimes I don't understand things. Sometimes I experienced a lot of pain and I can't deny that. Sometimes that journey seems like a very, very winding journey, very not straight journey. Sometimes the journey, if I start analyzing it, even seems impossible. I'm here today, there's no way tomorrow I can be there. It's just impossible. So what do I do? I substitute the journey for different perspectives in life that somehow will make it make sense in my limited tools and from my very finite and often traumatized perspective instead of opening myself up to a much deeper truth. And what's this deeper truth? This deeper truth is, Moshe says, Altiro. The first thing is don't let fear define you. Years before somebody else said the only thing we have to fear is fear. Fear itself, right? Huh? <laughs> Moshe, Altiro. That's the first thing. Don't let fear paralyze you. Because once fear dictates, once fear becomes the ruler in the game, then ultimately there's no thinking. There's triggers and there's responses. So that's number one. Number two, he says, Stay anchored. Don't escape. You don't have to escape the world. You don't have to escape people. Most importantly, you don't have to escape yourself. You don't have to detach. You don't have to cut off the cords. You don't. That's his first message. And that's a very deep message. And don't even run away into a world of religion and give up on God's world because your soul was sent into the world to transform it, not to escape it. Ultimately, yes, there are different neshamas. There are neshamas that are more involved in Ruchni, is more involved in Gachmis. There are neshamas that learn all day. There are neshamas that are involved in work. There's different types of neshamas. Different people are more introverted, extroverted. Every neshama has its journey and its mission and its shlich is based on its personality, its gifts, its vices. But the common denominator is, the common denominator is, a person is an ambassador of light. A person in any form or fashion is here to elevate, to inspire, to infuse, to make a difference, to make an impact on myself, on my loved ones, on my environment, on Klai Yisrael, and ultimately the world. Each person according to their talents, their capabilities. Don't escape. Don't escape from people. It's very easy. This is where cynicism comes in. Cynicism feeds either surrender or escapism. Sometimes cynicism feeds surrender and just, you know, just give up. But sometimes cynicism feeds escapism because I can't deal with it. I want to live in a beautiful world. And you'll see that different people respond to the pain of reality in different ways. Some people become very cynical. They give up on faith, they give up on hope, they just don't believe anything, right? You see these people. I meet people all the time, at the outside they live a certain life, but they're so cynical. They've seen too much politics, I can't blame them. They've seen too much corruption. <laughs> I remember I was once sitting in a hotel, and Ayid came over to me, and he looked very, very frum. So it was after Rabashkin came out of prison. 
He says, you know Rabashkin personally, right? So tell me, as Azan Nare gloped as I feel, <laughs> this is what he tells me. He says, how do you believe in all these things? Well, how foolish is he to believe in it? So what he's telling me, what, what's this thought coming from? person sees so much, especially when you see dysfunction and you see abuse. So what I was speaking about, uh, if you heard my Hebrew lecture about what happened in Israel, the, 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 beyond all the other casualties, the deepest casualty is the casualty of truth. Not just all the victims who are emotionally worried. There's somebody else that gets murdered. They don't talk about him. He's the biggest victim or she's the biggest victim. It's actually feminine. It's called MS. And the Gemara associates that with God. The biggest victim of what happened in Israel is God. Not just because Pchilil Hashem and the secular press. We're all good at saying that. I'm talking much deeper. I'm talking the biggest victim, the victim of truth. People don't believe this truth anymore. You open up a newspaper or a website that's supposed to be religious. It's based on truth. And there's not a word of truth. You know it. Everybody knows it. So that means you're telling me that to find truth, I have to go elsewhere. You become cynical. <laughs> so what do you do? You surrender. You surrender your, oh, your own soul. Others don't want to become cynical. So what do they do? They live in an attic for the rest of their lives. They may live in the basement, but they still live in an attic. And you could see it. You could almost see it when you meet people. You could see it on their face. They ran to the attic or they surrendered. You could see it. It both comes from the pain of reality. And I get it. And then there are those who fight. And the problem is they're entangled with the fight constantly. And then there are those that are the most innocent souls, sweetest souls. And they say, I just daven. <laughs> I, t- I take a tehillim and I daven. All four don't realize the deepest, deepest truths about ourselves. And that is, this world is God's world. This world is, a, this world is a manifestation of divine energy. Every one of us is divine energy. Oneness and goodness is the natural state of existence. Falsehood, trauma, aberrations, divisiveness, fragmentations, lies, falsehood. Our shells, our husks, they don't have any substance. Our job is to be able to reveal what has substance, what doesn't have substance. That's the journey. When I wake up in the morning, my journey is, You gave me my soul, which is your soul. Rabba means your faith is great. What faith? Your faith in me and my soul is great. You chose me as your ambassador. Wow, you believe in me even when I don't believe in me. I woke up in a bad mood. <laughs> because you checked your text messages before Maidani. Don't make that mistake. <laughs> I woke up in a bad mood. I didn't get enough sleep or whatever it is. I'm gonna have a, I am have almost so much things to do. And I'm making a Sheva Brachas tomorrow night. Right? And the one who was supposed to help me canceled. So all of that coupled together. I don't know if anybody's making a Sheva Brachas tomorrow night. If you need help, let me know. But uh, I'm just, you know, talking about one of those things that can stress us out. Rabba Munasacha. Start my journey. What's my journey? My journey is one step closer to Kabbalah Satayra. One step closer to Gula. In every situation. It may mean now I'm packing up food for my child. Now I have to spend time with another child. Now I have to spend time with my brain. Now I have to exercise. Now I need to anchor myself. Now is the time for davening. Now is the time for learning. Now is the time for a mitzvah. Now is the time to engage in whatever I need to engage as a messenger of Hashem in this world. But I'm a messenger. I'm on a journey. I tell God in the morning, let's fasten our seatbelt. It's going to be an exciting day today. If we want to go fast, we'll go fast. If you want to go on a super duper looper, you ever want a super duper looper? 
in Disney World. I don't suggest it, but my son once wanted to go, so we went on 12 super-duper loopers. I did shuva 12 times that day, right? So you tell let's fast. The main thing is, fasten your seatbelt, right? The guy are taking pictures, and the Jews are saying, Shema Yisrael. That's what it looks like on those roller coasters. Every Jew is saying, Vidu, writing his will, and the Gentiles are taking pictures, their hands are zoi. Shine. That's a separate fear that we have. So in any case, you fasten yourself, let's go. Don't be afraid. Sometimes we're going up, we're go- but we're going. We're traveling. I sent you on a journey. We're going on a journey. The journey is to light up the world. Don't get cynical. Don't surrender. Don't get involved in negativity and fighting. Don't pass the buck to heaven and say, God, I give up. And don't run away. Be fully present because the you that's present is infinite. It's divine. For you so, you'll embrace reality and then you'll see a lot of things will happen. Suddenly you'll see seas will part. Suddenly you'll see that things that you felt that you could never accomplish get accomplished. Suddenly you'll see good flourishing. Suddenly you'll see hope being planted. Suddenly you'll see faith where you never saw it before. Suddenly you'll see goodness where you never saw it before. And the big threat of the Egyptians will suddenly be submerged. That which was unbreachable and unfathomable a moment before God says, I'm also here. It's my journey. It's not, you're not alone. You're my shliach. We're in this together. What's a good partnership? I do my part of the business. You do your part of the business. If I have to split a sea, I'll split a sea. You travel. You see your destination? Move. What does movement mean? Movement does not mean physical movement. Movement means movement in attitude. Bring in more light. Bring in more good. Don't get paralyzed. Don't get entangled. And don't just say, I give up. Hashem has to do it. Davening is also part of proactivity. Davening is part of a relationship. Davening is to empower, to stimulate, to invigorate. Not a form of, of surrender. I once heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe something very intense. He quoted his father-in-law, the Rebbe Rayatz, whose yard site is tonight, Yud he said that it says in Masech HaSaita, the last Mishnah, before Mashiach comes, there'll be a lot of chutzpah. Daughters will revolt against their mothers. Daughter, sounds familiar? Daughters-in-law will revolt against their mothers-in-law. Everybody will revolt against everybody. And the Mishnah continues, And who are we going to have to rely on? Only on our Father in Heaven. And the Rebbe said that his father-in-law once said, and this is a man who lived through Stalin and Hitler. And he said, it's not like everybody learns that there's going to be so many problems. So the Mishnah is saying, what should we do? Rely on God. He says, that's going to be one of the problems. The problem is that we're going to say, but he's going to lift up their hands and say, oy, 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 I'm a shiganavelt. I'm a shiganavelt. Only God can help. So that's part of the challenge that people become paralyzed. People become complacent. People surrender to their own despair. And they say, Hashem. The truth is, Hashem can do everything. <laughs> but He created the world. And He created your soul. And He sent it down into this world. Not just to say that He can do everything. That's easy to say. It's maybe not so easy. But that's first step. The second step is, He can do everything. Through us. He can do everything with his partners. I'm an essential part of it. It's not, you're just, the whole purpose of your existence is to figure out that you're a nothing. 
that you could have done before also. <laughs> I could have not existed and figured out that I'm a nothing. The Kiddush of existence is to be able to realize not that I'm a nothing, but that I'm no thing. I'm not a limited thing, nothing, no thing. Ayin, may ayin yavayazri. It doesn't have to be from thingness. It could be may ayin yavayazri. From no thingness, from that which is beyond concreteness. Don't minimize your existence into a small bubble of concreteness and therefore you say I'm stuck and I can't figure it out. That's all when I'm not, a, not rooted in ayin. When you're rooted in ayin, what's ayin? No thingness, then may ayin yavayazri. That's what the Balatanya says. May ayin yavayazri. From ayin comes ezri. I have to say this doesn't mean that everything always looks rosy. It doesn't mean that I haven't been through difficult experiences. It doesn't mean I don't have to deal with voices inside of me that caused me to disconnect or caused me to become cynical or caused me to fight and always be confrontational and always be aggressive. Why are there people always confrontational? Why? You ever wonder? You know, there's people, whatever you say, they have to argue. You know such people? Huh? You don't know. Okay, Baruch Hashem. Everything, what is it? You have to, I look at it, I'm like, whoa. What's the lion? There's a cheetah and a tiger and a lion in this poor guy's brain. And they're always attacking. You say good morning, it's like, uh, what's next, right? Even a good morning is, is not simple. There's a lot, a lot of, a lot of pain that people deal with. But awareness, awareness of it allows me to be able to transcend and say, I don't have to fight. And I don't have to surrender and I'm not going to run. What do I need to do? Hisyatzvu. First of all, get anchored. Second of all, realize you're an ambassador. Ru'u is Yeshua Hashem. Number three, don't be afraid to look at Mitzrayim. And then you won't have to look back at them. You're not really part of Mitzrayim. Look at it and see it. You'll see it's not you. Hashem yilachem lachem. Your job is not fighting. Your job is increasing goodness. Va'atem tacharishon. And learn also how to be silent. Learn how to be silent and accept a moment that is transformative beyond what my words can anticipate or see. And as I said before, each of these groups has its place. Of course, there's a time to daven. Every day we daven. Shachris, Mincha, Mayrif. And a Jew in the middle of the day opens a Tehillim or davens in their own language. That's essential to life. And there's a time a Jew fights and Parshas B'Shalach. At the end of B'Shalach there's a fight. Pare they don't fight, but Amalek they do fight. Sometimes it's a Melchama, Habala, Hargach. We don't ask for war, but sometimes I have to fight. It's painful. But sometimes the Jewish people have to fight and say, I'm not going to fight. That's also a form of escapism. Sometimes there's compromise, not a mitzvah to fight. <laughs> Pare you don't compromise. So sometimes a person needs to compromise. You have to understand the calling of the moment. And of course, sometimes. I need to go into a higher place. I have to go into a higher place. But all that is not based on running and detaching. It's based on what the mission is. What's the V'yisau? What's the core of the Jewish life? Dabra b'nei Yisrael v'yisau. The core is that you are on a successful journey. A journey that was conceived in love and will end in love. A journey of which you are a primary rider. Not a pass, not a, you're not a standby, you're not a spectator. You're a player of Yisro. And with this Yisro, there's an inner paradigm shift. And with this paradigm shift, a person lives in an attitude of wholeness, 
in an attitude of divine infinity, in an attitude of oneness. And when there are voices to the contrary, instead of surrendering to those voices, those voices are identified for what they are, and they become sources of deeper awareness. They enhance your journey. They are mobilized towards your journey. They become harnessed towards your journey. Instead of those voices taking you down, those voices become catalysts and springboards to... Did you understand what I just said? Instead of those voices taking you down, those voices now become part of your journey. They become catalysts to make you aware of what you have to be aware of, to make you aware of what your journey consists of. So they themselves become part of a journey towards a place of truth. And what's the place of truth? place of truth is a place of absolute oneness, a place of absolute love, a place of absolute infinity, a place of absolute fusion of Malaha Aretz Deyes Hashem Kamayam Layam Mechasim. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering is there like some kind of practical way to know which one? Very good question. How do I know which one to apply when? Right? Right. So sometimes we have the Shulchan Aruch for that, <laughs> the code of Jewish law. So that guides us. But you're saying when it's not so clear, right? Well, it's not so clear. So we sometimes, you know, we say, sometimes we really need to reach out to somebody we trust, somebody who has our back, and somebody who understands well the situation. Because if I'm biased, I may, you know, be blinded a little bit to be helpful. So we have to have those support systems in our life. Like the Mishra say, a mentor. You know, somebody I can trust, a friend, a good friend, and sometimes I have to go and deep into myself. I have to anchor myself, sometimes through prayer or meditation, and really find out what my shlichus is at this moment, and ask Hashem for guidance. Ask Hashem for guidance. Ask Moshe Rabbeinu for guidance, and uh, and open myself up to that because sometimes it's not clear. There's a time to daven. And then there's a time I have to pack up my talus and tefillin and travel and go split seas. All right. <laughs> Thank ah, you. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Okay, wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, what, I, what I missed, what I was confused about in this year is that the four different options of, 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 of handling that stuckness. Right. right. So, what Nachshon did yeah. by jumping into the yam, yeah. is that a different category of the jumping into the yam that you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, of course. Okay, I wasn't sure. Like, I was yeah. confused by that. Like, Nachshon jumped in because Moshe said, Hevre, go. Okay, so that was a different jump. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't resignation and escapism. No, it was correct. It was that correct. was, this is the yam, the jump. Don't, you don't have to think about the yam. God's, God's world. So how would you differentiate one is coming from the spear. Okay, so the first one. One is a disconnect. One is I run into a world where there's nippoy layam, disassociation, segregation. Yeah. Just go running into a ghetto, running into a ghetto. I'm going to confine myself. But it's the same language. It's the same language, but this is a response to Moshe. This is a journey to Kabbalah Satira. We're going to pick up a world. We're going to bring Torah to the world. 
Yeah, yeah, very different. I know, I knew it was different. I just yeah. I was confused. I'm journeying to bring Torah to the world. That's my journey. Uh, so I'm not running away. Fakert. That was the light. By Matan Torah, Hashem came into the world. Avada. Vayisot, to where? We're going to the mountain. Okay, so the, the, of the four responses that, that you were referring to as a function of despair, those references are coming from Lashonas in the Chumash? Yeah, when you, when you study Moshe's response to the, to the Jews, the Mechilta identifies a response to four groups. So the question is, what did he say? Travel. That's like the fourth group. Why are you saying there were four groups and Moshe responded to all of them? He also agreed. He said, travel, that's going into the sea. Moshe saying to journey is not the one that said go into the sea. It's an opposite idea. They said jump into the sea in order to die. Moshe said, we're not jumping into the sea to die. We're jumping into the sea to live. You hear? Yeah, totally. Yeah. They said jump into the sea to die. Moshe said, no, we're journeying to Matan Taita. We have to go through the sea. We'll go through the sea. You don't have to thwarm. Hi, I'm just Hi. having a hard time with the last one about okay. the davening one. Davening, I yeah. I understand the concept that, that you have to do a shalas and you don't just sit there. But what if there's like absolutely nothing to do that you can think of? Right. If it's a situation where there's mamish nothing to do, mamish, 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 then that's what we do. We feel that we daven. <laughs> Even when there is what to do, we daven. <laughs> A Jew always davens. A Jew davens in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, in the middle of the day. A Jew sits davens. A Jew, he davens to Hashem. That's what a Jew does. But davening is not a substitute of appreciating that I have a tremendous role to play. Not because of my ego, because I'm, my, I'm a partner. So the davening is here to empower me, to inspire me, to invigorate me. And of course to infuse me with the Sayat of the Shmaya, with Hashem's help, with Yeshua's Hashem. Just like then, they traveled, but Hashem had to split the sea. They couldn't split the sea. Mm-hmm. So that's where tefillah comes in. Now sometimes in a situation, let's say I'm in a situation, I have nothing to do, then my shlichus is to daven. Mm-hmm. Then it's, my, like two, two th- it's like you're doing two things at once. That is your... That sometimes is my mission. Right now, this is it. Davening. Why mm-hmm. is the person so stuck that they can't daven sometimes? Huh? If a person is so stuck that they can't daven, then they have to daven for that. No, no, I'm serious. I have to daven to be able to daven. I have to daven to be able to daven. Sometimes you just have to open yourself up and I say, take me out to help me out. Children, but you don't. Did I answer your question? I think so. Yeah. I just ran. Go, go ask, yeah, yeah. Four-fifths that were died in Koshev. What's with the Arab and they get like scot free? Like what I don't get it. Well the like only Yeah, yeah. No, now it's different. The Jews that didn't leave Mitzrayim are the Jews who didn't want to leave Egypt. All Jews were taken out, even those who worshipped idolatry. Even the Jews in the lowest level were taken out, unless they refused to go. According to one opinion. According to another opinion, it was one of five hundred, one of fifty. Huh? There's three opinions in Mechilta. One is one in 50, one in 500, and one in five. But ha- and I guess Hashem decided that has to be sifted out. No, they didn't want to go. They didn't want to go. They liked it. They didn't want to go. They felt life is good. There is a people from Avram, they knew with like Avram, it's like they all had a marry in their family, even though they were okay. Well, there were a lot, so many of the women had gave birth to six children at a time, so there were a lot of Jews. 
And whoever wanted to go, even if they were in the lowest level, even of the Zaris, everybody left. But they really wanted to go, they were just stuck from all of the Meshuggah. Then they went. But if somebody consciously didn't want to leave Egypt, they weren't forced to go. The last Gula, it says, no Jew will be left behind. And this Gula, no Jew is going to be left. It says in Svarim, by Gulas Mitzrayim, you had to want to go. If you didn't want to go, you weren't forced. In this Gula, the Neshama is eternal. The Neshama has died, they were eternal. Every soul is eternal. Every soul has a Tikkun. The Shalos says every soul has a Tikkun. Even those that it says don't have a Tikkun, at the end they have a Tikkun. They may not come back in the same gulf, but every neshama has a tikkun. Because it's a chilek alakame mal, it can't not have a tikkun. The shalosh says, the arizal says, the reish is chachma, it's just brought in svarim. Even those that say, en lem chilek loy haba, it says in Yerushalmi, Yeravim ben Nevat, there's a tikkun for every neshama. So even if it died, the soul has a tikkun. But those who didn't want to leave Egypt, they weren't forced. They weren't schlepped out against their will. It's like, I'll schlep you out from anywhere, but you have to give me your hand. Even a Jew who was stuck in Mem Tes Shari Tumah, they're taken out. But you have to give me, you have to let, at, least, at least let me schlep you. Wow. But if you're pulling the other way, I don't want to go, then not. That's before Matan Torah. After Matan Torah, everybody goes. Even the one who screams, I don't want to go. Because the screaming, I don't want to go, he's not really screaming. <laughs> you hear? That's after Matan Torah. Got it? That's why we say in the Haggadah. We tell the Russia, Ilu Sham If he would have been there, he wouldn't have been redeemed. So what's Pshat? So I once heard from the Rebbe, he said, by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim he wouldn't have been redeemed. Now he would be redeemed. Ilu Sham You're telling the Russia to say there, we're not giving up on you. If you would have been there, you wouldn't have been redeemed. Here? Of course you're going to be redeemed. Call yourself a Russia from today till tomorrow. We're not giving up on you. Why? Because then, if you resisted, you didn't want to go, okay. You don't want to be part of it. Today, after Matan Torah, even if he's screaming or she's screaming, I don't want to go, that's external. He doesn't have to lift his hand. So you don't have to lift your hand. Even if you're pulling away, deep down, you're not pulling away. So we're going to take you. Ilu haya sham la haya nigga. The hairs? I was saying something, but they say, I'm not, I don't want to go in because I haven't finished my growth. And they say, no, no, I'm not ready. And some people say, I don't want to go. After 2,000 years, we're ready. Oh, we're very ready. Hatzlacha, <laughs> Hatzlacha. Thank you for coming. patience? She went through, she had a very yeah, intense therapy went. session. I just want to know one thing. Yeah, yeah. I just want to know one thing, Rabbi Jacobson. Yes. Did you go to college and take any psychology courses? <laughs> you read every book in the sun. I didn't, know. But you took it and read all the books. But you maybe read something. I, re- I read some things, but... Uh, yeah. No, I know the, I really know the answer. You know what it is? Okay, but go ahead. Go, go ahead, go ahead. No, I want to But yes, Tanya, you know. Hasidus. Yes, Hasidus. What's your answer? No, I'm, I, I'm thinking that the answer is that we don't realize how all-encompassing the Torah is. That's true. grow up, listen, you know, we're not talking about Bali too, to be from from birth, to be from from birth, go through school, Elementary school, high school, even seminary, right? But you have to always be learning. And I right. think that if you talk to people, and some of these are my family members, right? They think they know because they had a good education, right? But the education stopped at this point. And as, as I'm going along in life, I'm realizing the lack of the... Right. You know, you learn it... You know, in, in 
You hear the words, the statements, perfect. Shot, rim is dry, so, but you don't know what is best. And then they tell you, you can't really learn anything. So, because until you're a big time chacham, but nobody ever becomes a big time Right, right, right. What, you do, what you're doing here is like, and, and this is like amazing. And that's why I think everybody keeps coming and coming and coming and continue to come because this is really what Hashem wants us to do. Is like, and really what you see is the just like you said, the Balshentov said this 300 years ago, right? It's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know this. I have a friend. His name is Rabbi Yanki Raskin. So he emailed me this Balshemtiv because I, I never I didn't see it. I mean, years ago, and when I opened it, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that because you see Mitzrayim today, you won't have to see them again. And the whole thing about Sarno, I, I, I heard about the doctors. I just want to tell you something. There's some doctor. It's a doctor, big doctor. To be one of those doctors that believes that we don't know everything. Wow. And that, you know what? My husband did that Sarno thing. Those are the doctors we trust. I once went to doctors who think we don't know. Had some back pain. So your husband did with Dr. Sarno? No. So he didn't go to Dr. Sarno. There was this rubber. Oh, he followed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who learned from Sarno? He learned from Sarno. And and I just heard this from somebody, and I said, we went to Brooklyn, sat in one of these sessions, and then I don't know, I bought the book. Wow. I read the book, and guess what? His back pain went away. Really? Now, he didn't have it all the time. Right. Wow. Amazing, Baruch Hashem. For three days, you know? Amazing. And and it's, it's, it's powerful. Wow. You have to be flexible when people become stuck. So yeah. Much. Yeah. There's, so much There's an expression in Gemara, Toiv Shabirai from Legehenim. The best of doctors goes in. Why? It's the arrogance. We're not talking about you. You're a humble person. When people become arrogant, I know everything. My sister, she reads everything. Yeah. That's it. Humility, humility is the prerequisite of all growth and knowledge. I didn't hear the answer to the question. Oh. <laughs> oh. I didn't go to college, but yeah, I've been around the block a little bit. I know, but there's a lot of people around the block, and I still don't have that much insight. I hear. The Torah. Around the river. I grew up by the Rebbe, yeah? Yeah. I might have missed this, because I was a little bit late, and I had to leave a little bit No problem. But I was able to come back. And by the way, I... Dr. Sarno, I went to Dr. Sarno myself. Oh, you also went to Sarno. We also went to Sarno. This whole place went to Sarno. I'm preaching to the converted, yeah. (laughs) I was in on his lectures, and he totally helped me. Wow. Um, You had back pain? Yes, I was in college. I had chronic back pain. Wow. Um, Yeah. Now you're fine? One minute. Um, Listen, I mean, nothing's perfect, but um, but 100% at the time, he promised if I attend his lectures and do what he said, 80% of the pain would be gone within a few months, and that is exactly what happened. You're gone. So that is exactly what happened. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.